Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years. I have a lot of experience working with this variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. I have a pleasure today to talk to Marina from Tamnoon and learn about her story, how she started and what she did. Marina, can you please tell me about yourself and the company? Hi, pleasure to be here and absolutely would love to share how I started and what the company is about. First of all, a little bit of background about myself. I come from many years in compliance risk management and cybersecurity space. Started my career a long time ago in Tel Aviv, working for Deloitte work for Deloitte in Israel and in Canada, a lot of compliance, a lot of risk management, always wanted to take it to less manual, more tech advanced compliance implementation and help companies to make it fun and get a lot of value out of compliance and put a lot of security around it. Later on, I was security practitioner myself. I moved to the States and helped several companies to manage their security operations. And one of the exciting engagements was when we moved the very sensitive data in one of the companies I work for to the cloud. And that's how I got introduced to the fascinating world of security in the cloud. And since then, I've been building products in the space. I was part of Dom9 security team that got acquired by Checkpoint, led the product management team over there. Later on in CISDIC, helped them to establish their market presence for the cloud security space. And since last year, end of 21, I'm building Tamnoon, which is a hybrid between two passions of mine, the consulting space and the product management space. Great. Thank you very much. I'm not really sure how you can say compliance and fun in the same sentence, but <laughs> I'm sure everybody has their own take, so it is what it is. So you have your own company for not a very long time. And I believe you guys just about wrote out of stealth. This is great. Can you tell me and people that are listening like, what actually motivated you? Because you did product management for one or two, maybe three companies. Like, what changed? What triggered in your mind that you, okay, now I want to have my own company? It wasn't one trigger. It was a very long journey. Actually, it took me and my co-founder about three years to get to the point of time where all the stars aligned in the personal life, in the professional life, the situation in the world with COVID and all of that took us about two years with a lot of ideas, a lot of conversations with people in the industry. And at some point when we had an idea and we came to pitch one of our mentors, who was the founder of Dom9, Zohar Alon. Three of us had a very amazing brainstorming session, and that's how Tomnoon was born. And we decided, okay, we're going to leave our day jobs and start our own company. So I cannot say that it was one point of time, but there was definitely some sparkles in me and my co-founders where we always knew we want to do something on our own. We just needed the right alignment of all the stars together. Let's dive in a bit more to the idea. How did the idea crystallize? How do you understand people need more hands and feet and white glove approach with security in the cloud and all the alerts in the cloud? 
being in the product management space for six years and being in this industry, understanding that technology is there. We have a lot of great capabilities in the cloud already and still think that the companies have silly mistakes such as open buckets. We have everything that we need to prevent those brought us to understanding that there is some missing component. There is something that is not working in the approach today. And that's how we analyzed a lot of environments. We analyzed a lot of processes that we've seen, and we figured that it's not only about the technology. We have to pay attention to how technology is being utilized and how technology is being adopted by the companies. And that's where a lot of gap is in the industry today. And that's the problem we decided to solve. There's a big difference between have the problem in your mind and with your partner and with your mentor and actually go and validate when you build it, somebody will buy it. So what was the next step? How did you validate people going to buy whatever you're going to build? First of all, we had many conversations with security practitioners, with CISOs in the industry to ask them, are you validating this problem? That's how we started. Are you agreeing with our hypothesis that we want more human decision-making? We want to scale the management of your tools. And are you agreeing that the tools that are there being underutilized? And we got a kind of a consensus based on a lot of different conversations that, yeah, the tools are there. They understand the value that the tools provide. They understand how to get the value, but they just cannot bring the teams and the resources they have to the maximum potential. And that's where we said, okay, so we want to fix the problem of underutilization and make the most out of the existing tools and the teams. How do we solve it? And then I always in my kind of a personal life and a professional life, I tend to take a lot of big problems and break them down to the smaller pieces. And that's what we've done. We broke the process that happens between the detection until that something is getting fixed and put it in the buckets of different problems and started solving it one by one. We're going to go and approach a very big problem in the industry that is not technical. You mentioned you went and talked to multiple CISOs. The entire industry is crying how they cannot get time with the CISO, how it's impossible to find the CISO. So what was the magic that you did that made the CISO to have a Zoom call, Teams, or whatever the app you're using to talk to them, to actually have a call with Marina and listen to her for half an hour and kind of spend their quality time with you? Basically, a lot of founder-driven outreach to the friends, to the CISOs that I was in touch with before, a lot of mentors and people in the industry and friends definitely were there for us to make the connections, to get us those 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes with the right folks. And sometimes called calling over the LinkedIn. It's about not being shy and being persistent. And it's a lot of disappointment in the process. But if you're not going to try, you never will get that call. If you will try, at least one out of 10 or 20 will get over to your mailbox. And as I mentioned, it was two years of a process for us. So it didn't happen overnight. It was a lot of work that was put into it. Everybody that's listening, remember a very important sentence. Nothing is built overnight. It takes time and I'm disappointed. So get stronger and go forward with this. Great. You have an idea. You have a validation. I hope some of these customers became basically your kind of POC customers or customers that are going to go with you and the development customers as well. What do you do next? Did you want to raise money? Did you want to build the app? What was the next step? So when we get the consensus on the idea and we were ready to start it, first of all, we left the companies we work for because 
you cannot convince any investor to invest in you if you are not convinced yourself that you want to invest, put all of your risks into this bucket, right? And then we did found the investors because we live in the United States and cost of living here would not allow us to not get the investment in the beginning. And once we raised this pre-seed money, we just went full gas into getting the right people on the team, getting those first customers who became our design partners and some of them already providing testimonials for us and became paying customers, which is an amazing journey that we went through together with them. It was a fascinating year where every day was like you have 20 ups and 20 downs and they all randomized throughout your day. So a lot of emotional roller coasters were happening over that time. In one point when you need to build the app, you need people. What is Marina's approach to hiring people? And I want to explain what I mean by this. I think the industry will agree it's one part to find the people. And it's okay it's much harder to find the people you need. And the people you need will be different for Evgeny, for Marina, or for somebody else. Because we may look people like us. We may look for people that are completely different than us. Because we want to make sure everybody's going to prepare and bring their own visibility and their own vision to the team. What is your approach? How you qualify and how you are kind of trying to build a mature team, but with different vision? Whoever answers this question will be a very rich or popular person because hiring and finding the right people, not only for work, but even for your people is really hard. And for me right now, it's teamwork, me and my co-founder. In the beginning, I remember when we even started the company, we were sitting somewhere drinking for the first document set that was signed for the startup and we were saying okay now we need to define how the culture will be and we were laughing we were very cynical about this culture thing and saying like, putting culture on paper doesn't make any sense culture is something you cannot write in words or describe in three bullets but then we actually gave it a thought and we put those together I actually have this paper somewhere over here on napkin and we define what it means for us how we would want a noon to be in like three to five years, what values we want to bring. And that was very powerful because that kind of gave us the alignment even between us, what we want to surface to the team and what we want to bring to the world. And when we are hiring, I think me and Idan, we would always interview folks and we would compliment each other because I'm more pragmatic and he is more of an emotional compass for the company and making sure that people are coming with the right mindset. And I had this shift when I started the company, my aha moment, that before startup, I was hiring people who are not yet into this role entirely. So they have the price to grow and I can mentor them to become something that they are still not. And I believe that motivates them. I still believe the thesis, but as a startup founder, I just don't have the luxury and the time to mentor folks. And I need them to bring something that I don't know. I need them to mentor me about different areas that I'm not maybe that proficient in them. And that is the change that I had when I started the company that the first founding team, the first layer of those people who would be working with me, they will need to bring something new to the table that we do not have. And then the next kind of a layer of people who will join later, those guys can be mentored and brought to the more traditional approach in the hiring that I had before. So right now I'm looking for people who will fit into our culture, but still will bring something diverse in their experience, expertise, and mindset. 
And that is kind of where we are today. This is a very interesting story. And I think it's very important to understand the culture of the company and what kind of people you want to hire as well. I'm wondering when you're hiring people and you're building the company at the same time, how do you prioritize tasks? How do you decide what to do today, tomorrow? Because there are so many different things happening and it's probably everything happening at the same time. What helps me is to prioritize what not to do. I actually thinking a lot about what I should not be doing. And another thing in the beginning, our mentor and then our chairman as well, he mentioned something that I think that is very true. If you're doing something you enjoy too much, probably you're doing something you don't need to be doing. And if I'm getting into this mood of enjoying it too much, I'm giving myself a wordless hat and, and trying to figure out, is there anything else that is more urgent and more beneficial for the company? So it's always about prioritizing, not your specific role that you're doing. Maybe you're doing different roles, but for example, if I'm focused on the marketing today, maybe for the marketing, something is very important right now, but it doesn't mean that it's super important for the company because there might be some other priorities. So always try to take a step back and see what would be the most important thing to prioritize for the company company. In what point you understood that you're on a correct path? Maybe there was a win with the customer, maybe there was validation, but you really understood, okay, I'm actually building what people want to buy and I'm happy where I'm going with. Every fix of misconfiguration that we're experiencing with the customer is that moment. We are doing a lot of engagements with the customers and part of our offering involves weekly touch point with them and it's a personal training session where we come and we tell them how to fix things with a lot of automation that we offer, but still there is a human touch that is happening there. And during those calls, customers would give us validation time after time about how impactful it is to have someone to be involved with them in the remediation. And when we are seeing tasks that are being closed and they are feeling like heroes, that's the only validation we need. If you will take yourself in the beginning, not very far, a year and a half ago, would you do something different? I would optimize more for kind of a velocity. I think in a startup, the velocity is super important, meaning that sometimes taking any decision is better than delaying the decisions. And I think just moving even faster, we moved very fast. But I think if I were to rewind and run the same script again, I would probably shorten the times it took us to figure out how the feature looks like or figure out how the specific process would look like and just do more tries and errors. I have this question I ask people about chicken the egg or marketing versus product. The customers ask you, I want this. And you tell them, yes, we definitely have it. Why you maybe don't have it? Or you say, no, we don't have it. But if you're going to decide to buy the solution, we're going to create it for you later on. What's your approach to this? So wearing for a long time a head of product manager, I've been in hundreds, if not thousands of occasions like that. Typically, customer asks you for a solution and it's crucial to understand the problem they're trying to solve. So instead of saying, I want this table to be sorted from A to B, Z. What I would always recommend doing is to understand why do they need to sort this table? What is it they're trying to achieve? Because a lot of times, first of all, there might be a workaround already and they just don't know about it. They just are asking for something they would do following their intuition. And second of all, it can create more systematic and framework-driven approaches instead of solving one problem in the product, you may solve 10 problems with the same functionality. 
So understanding the why and understanding how important it is for them is crucial just because oftentimes they asking for something and you really want to give it to them. So they sign the contract or make something that you need them to make in the product. But I would recommend always challenging them why they need it, when they need it. And they would appreciate your professionalism when you ask those questions. It's crucial for any product management. We're going to change gears. We're going to talk about the dark mode. The dark side is when we talk about stuff that didn't really went as you expected. Share us stories about potential failures or failures in general, or maybe failures that actually led to something better because you learn from this failure. One of the latest things that comes to mind that you guys probably familiar with is SVB crash <laughs> that happened over the weekend a few weeks back. That was definitely something that is unexpected, but I would kind of categorize failures into a few buckets, maybe two or three. So first of all, things that you do not control, right? So things like bank crash or economy that is failing. And if you cannot control it, it puts a lot of stress, but you kind of in firefighting mode and then you need to find the solution. If the failure happens and it is something that you've done or your employees has not performed the way you expected them to perform or the product had a big issue that was your failure, to me, emotionally, this is much more hard to experience because I'm blaming myself and trying to find power to learn from that. So I think the ones that are external and not depend on you, sure, you can be in firefighting mode and typically those would just delay your operations. But the ones that are problems that you causing them or your employees, those are actually the most important things that you can learn from and grow. And those issues in the product would always be challenging. You're doing onboarding, silly thing like customers trying to reset their password, they're not getting email. You're in the middle of the most important POC of your life and the email is not getting through. It is delaying. So when you are there, it may seem very stressful, but this is the best opportunity to learn what went wrong, how to improve the process and what makes companies stronger. If the employees are in the mindset of not looking for who to blame, but looking on actually how to improve the process and how to make sure that we solve it together and know how to prevent it in future. What happened when you have a personal bad day? How do you go back and regenerate and come back stronger? I go running and my kids definitely giving me the perspective on my life. So most of the times after 4 p.m. I'm with my kids somewhere in the gym. They are doing their activities, gymnastics, taekwondo, and I'm taking myself out for a run because there is nothing else to do out there around that area. So that is definitely my sanity. Sometimes there are hard days when I skip those trainings because I'm too busy and that's where the emotional stress may be too high and it may be a lot of hard days, but kids around definitely help. Marina, thank you very much. I really like the story. I really like your approach. Looks like very healthy and you're trying to be balanced between work and family and life and make sure you're there. So thank you very much. Thank you, Evgeny. Thank you everyone for listening and see you in the next episode.